Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. Scripture reading for today is 1 Timothy 3, 8-13, um, and I'm reading from the CSB. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you have not uh, left us to our own devices as your church, but you have given us wise structure uh, as a gift for our good and your glory. And I pray that this morning uh, you would just help us to see that gift more clearly. All to the glory and the praise of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray and by your spirit. Amen. So, If you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This will be the second and final part of our mini-series that we are doing on deacons. Uh, if you weren't able to be with us last week for the first part, the only other part, uh, then all I have time to tell you is that we walked through Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, aiming to answer the question, what are deacons? And I can very quickly give you the summary answer that we came to, and that's this. Deacons are servants chosen by the church to support the ministry of the elders by meeting ministry needs in a manner that promotes and protects the church's internal unity and external witness. That was a lot. And if you weren't able to be with us last week, I do encourage you to go back and to listen to that sermon, not only because we unpack every little piece of that answer, but also because I tried to, to cast a vision for why it is that we are moving here at Shades Valley to officially have deacons. I, I tried to show why this matters for you, specifically. Why this is actually a, a gift from the Lord to all of us, to each of us. Deacons are a gift of God to to you. We don't have time to go back through all of that this morning. This morning we've got to move on because if we are going to have deacons at Shades, there is a second question that we need to answer, and that is simply this. Who are deacons? And we know what they are, but who are deacons? Last week we saw that the entire church is involved in this process of selecting, choosing deacons. And so all of us need to know what kind of people are we looking to choose? Like, what, what qualities or characteristics are needed in a deacon? That is what 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13, aims to answer. The rest of our time, 
For the rest of our time this morning, let's walk through this passage and see the answer to our question, who are deacons? And then let's take a moment in light of all we've seen last week and this week to talk practically about deacons here at Shades Valley. That's the plan. Let's dive into it. 1 Timothy 3, read with me, beginning in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children, and their households well. So, in light of all of that, who are deacons? I believe this passage gives us a fourfold answer. I've put it into one long sentence, done the same thing I did last week for us, and we're going to take it one piece at a time. So, piece number one, who are deacons? Number one, deacons are men and women. Deacons are men and women. This is debated, but we believe that this passage teaches that both men and women serve in the office of deacon. If you would like To hear all of the detailed and nuanced argumentation, both for and against, let's sit down over coffee. We do not have time to do a whole sermon on that this morning. I'm just going to summarize by giving you four reasons, four reasons I believe that this passage teaches men and women are called to this office. First, the phrase, their wives. Look at verse 11. It begins, if you're using an ESV, it begins with two words, their wives. Wives. That is not a literal translation of the Greek. That is an interpretive choice. The, the possessive pronoun, there, it's not there in Greek. There's only one word here at the beginning of this sentence in Greek, gunikos. It is a word that can be translated wives. It is also the generic term for women in general. In other words, Paul right here might be talking about deacons' wives, or he might be talking about women deacons. And I believe that he is, because second, here's my second reason, the word likewise. Likewise. Look at verse 11 again. The women likewise must be dignified. What you've got to realize is that Paul is in the midst of a list. He's in the midst of a list of church offices for which he is laying out qualifications. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 3 and verse 1, he first lists the office of elder. Then when you get to verse 8, he starts out listing the second office, and this is how he says it. He says, deacons likewise. So elders, qualifications. Deacons like the elders, qualifications. Verse 11, women like the elders, qualifications. The word likewise helps us to see Paul's outline. Qualifications for deacons, I mean, excuse me, elders, then qualifications for deacons, and then qualifications for deaconesses. Now, some may ask, Jonathan, if that is indeed what Paul is doing, why doesn't he just call them deaconesses? Because third, here's my third reason. The word deaconesses, did not exist yet. Like literally, the feminine form of that word 
literally had not been coined at this time. There is a place in Scripture where Paul does call a woman a deacon, but even there, he has to use the masculine form of the word. Feminine form didn't exist yet. The the place I'm talking about is in Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 verse 1, listen to it. The apostle Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, a deacon of the church at Centria. Now, some might read that and they might say, yeah, but Jonathan, the Apostle Paul uses the word deacon, servant, in a very generic sense, a lot. And that's true. We saw that last week. There is a sense in which we're all deacons. We're all servants. We are all servants of the gospel. We are all servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses the word like that a lot. He calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He clearly did not hold the office of deacon. He calls Timothy, who clearly didn't hold that office either, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, I know that this is not a generic use of the term in Romans 16 because he doesn't call Phoebe a servant or a deacon of the gospel or of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls her a servant of the church at Centria. Like he names a local church. Every time, every single time the New Testament specifies a local church like that, it is describing an office at that church. Every single time. Like, if you want to argue that's not what's happening in Romans 16, you got to argue it is the lone exception in the entire New Testament. And the New Testament isn't the only one that talks this way about deaconesses. And this takes me to reason number four, fourth. We see deaconesses early in church history and throughout church history. So after the close in the New Testament, very early in church history and throughout it, I'm not saying that the evidence for deaconesses is uniform throughout church history, but what I am saying is that it shows up really early and it appears really often. I will give you just a few examples. In 111 AD, so we are within the second generation of the church Right? These are, this is a generation that learned directly from the apostles. In 111 AD, we have a letter from Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger is not a Christian. Pliny the Younger is a, a Roman magistrate. He has no agenda. Right? And he is writing to the emperor Trajan on like, there are these new people called Christians popping up where I'm in charge. How do I deal with them? And in Pliny's letter, he specifically talks about two women. And he says, these are two women whom the church calls deaconesses. Fast forward just a little while, about 200 AD. Listen to what Clement of Alexandria writes. Clement of Alexandria was an early church Christian theologian, early church father. He writes commenting on this passage that we are studying. This is what he says. We are also aware of all the things the noble Paul prescribed on the subject of female deacons in one of the two epistles to Timothy. He's like, we're all aware of this. He's not the only early church father that says that. Origen says it. John Chrysostom says it. Fast forward a little bit. Jerome says it. Fast forward a little bit to the Reformation. John Calvin says it. Fast forward a little bit. Charles Spurgeon says it. These these are heavy hitters, y'all. You get the idea. Like throughout early in church history and throughout church history, there has been evidence for deaconesses. And, And here's the deal. I am not saying that just because something happened 
early or throughout church history, that means it's right or that means it's biblical. But what I am saying is that piece of evidence stacked on top of all the other pieces of evidence we have already seen from the text itself, I think it makes it pretty clear. Who are deacons? Men and women. Let's keep going. Add piece number two to our answer. Who are deacons? Deacons are men and women known for serving. Men and women known for serving. Look at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Skip down to verse 11. The women, deaconesses, likewise, must be dignified. Dignified. Dignified means to be worthy of respect or to be held in honor. In in other words, it means that your character is obvious to other people. Like they respect you. They, They hold you in a place of honor. The rest of what Paul says about deacons is going to unpack precisely what other people see about them that causes them to hold them in honor. And what it is that other people see is they see that they are people who serve. This is why they're respected. This is why they're held in honor. They're dignified. They are known for something. Other people see it. What are they known for? They are known for serving. What does that look like? Paul unpacks it. He unpacks it in the next piece of our answer to our question. Who are deacons? Let's add on piece number three. Deacons are men and women known for serving in word, desire, and deed. I recognize that there's three things right there. We'll go through them one at a time. But this is the next piece. They're known for serving. What does that look like? They're known for serving in word, desire, and deed. You see this in verse 8 and in verse 11. Look at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. What does that look like? It looks like three things. Not double-tongued. I'm going to argue that has to do with their words. Not addicted to much wine. I'm going to argue that has to do with their desires. Not greedy for dishonest gain. I'm going to argue that has to do with their deeds. Paul says the exact same thing about deaconesses in verse 11. Look at it. He just uses a little bit different words. Deaconesses likewise must be dignified. That looks like three things. Not slanderers. Double-tongued. Sober-minded. Not addicted to much wine. Faithful in all things. Not greedy. Not dishonest. Faithful. These These lists of three things, they parallel one another and they have to do with words, desires, and deeds. First, words. Paul says deacons and deaconesses, they're not double-tongued. They're not slanderers. In other words, they're they're not people who say one thing to somebody's face and then another thing behind that person's back. They're not slanderers. They're not people who use their words to tear down. We saw last week that, I mean, the primary purpose for which deacons were even initiated and installed was to promote the unity of the church. So they're not, a, they're not people who use their words to divide and to tear down by gossiping or politicking. No, no. They, they use their words to build others up, to increase the unity of the body of Christ. They use their words to serve. And it's obvious to all. Not just their words. Second, desires. Paul says deacons are not to be addicted to much wine. They're to be sober-minded. Now, 
Paul could be speaking really, really practically right here. It's possible that in the early church, deacons had the responsibility of administering wine to the sick. Uh, Wine wasn't just a drink. It was also used medicinally. So it's almost like deacons had the key to the church's medicine cabinet. And they would take care of the sick. Thus, it was necessary that they not be addicted to wine, lest they indulge their own desires instead of attending to the needs of others. Needed to be sober-minded, able to deny self-serving desires in order to serve others. Their desires were to be aimed at serving others. Words, desires, and third, deeds. Deeds. Paul says deacons must not be greedy for dishonest gain. No, they need to be faithful in all things. Again, he could be speaking really practically right here. Last week, we saw that the first purpose for which there were ever deacons was to manage resources that the church took in and to distribute them amongst the church's needy. If you look throughout the early church, that, that's a pretty common function for deacons and deaconesses. They handle what's coming in and they handle it going out. Thus, it would be easy for a greedy deacon to accomplish some dishonest gain. They could use their good deeds that everybody thinks they're doing as a cover to serve themselves. And this is why Paul says, no, they've got to be faithful in all things. Their deeds must be aimed away from themselves towards the good of the other. They serve others through their deeds. Deacons are men and women known for serving others in word, desire, and deed. That leads us to our fourth and final piece of the answer to our question, who are deacons? And and this, we're about to get the whole answer right here, and this last piece, it really gets to the root of who deacons are. I think often when we think about deacons, deaconesses, we can think, these are are the people, they're, they're doers, and they do stuff. They serve. They get stuff done. Some of them are probably good with spreadsheets or something. I don't know. Some of them maybe some construction skills whatever. But, but this last piece right here, I think it shows us that deacons are not people who just do stuff, who serve in word, desire, and deed. No, they are a people who do the things that they do because of what they believe. They are a people whose faith in Jesus runs deep, and what they do is a fruit of that faith. Who are deacons? Fourth and final piece, whole definition. Deacons are men and women known for serving in word, desire, and deed, demonstrating real faith amidst real life over time. When you see them, you know these are people who demonstrate a real faith in Jesus amidst real life situations And they do it over time. Obviously, there are three pieces to what I just said. Let's take them one at a time. First, deacons are those who demonstrate real faith. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery of the faith. And it's just one of Paul's favorite phrases for the gospel. Deacons must hold to the gospel. They got 
They have to believe the gospel. And that doesn't mean just like mere mental agreement. Jesus came, died for my sins, rose again. Yes, I'll check the boxes and all of that. It doesn't mean just mere mental agreement. Now, having a real faith means that you have a faith that shapes your life, which is why Paul goes on to say they've got to hold to the faith with, with a clear conscience. Their conscience is clear because they don't just say they hold to the faith. If you say you hold to the faith but don't live in line with it, how in the world will you have a clear conscience? Paul says, no, their conscience is clear because they don't just hold to the faith, they live in line with it. They don't, they don't just say they believe, their lives demonstrate their belief, which leads us to the second part of, of this right here, the second thing. Deacons are those who demonstrate real faith amidst real life. They demonstrate real faith amidst real life. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. The husband of one wife. Again, not a literal translation right there. A literal translation of the Greek would be let deacons be a one-woman man. One woman, man. Why is that important? It's important because when you read husband of one wife, that could, that could be taken as a very surface level rule of just, okay, deacons can't have multiple wives. Polygamy was a thing, not a huge thing, but a thing in the Greco-Roman world. And you could take it just as that. Some people read into this rules having to do with divorce and remarriage. I don't have any clue where they're getting that from. But I don't think that's what any of this has to do with anyway. Because the text literally says that they are to be a one-woman man. That doesn't just have to do with faithfulness in your relationship with your spouse. It has to do with faithfulness in the way you relate to your wife and to all women. If you're a one-woman man, then you relate to your spouse, your wife, faithfully, and you relate to all other women faithfully. In, in other words... What I think Paul is saying right here is if you're going to be a deacon and you're married, you're a one-woman man. That shows up in how you relate to every woman. If you're single and you're going to be a deacon, then you aim to be a one-woman man. That shows up in how you relate to all of your sisters in Christ. Now, some may raise the question, why does Paul say this just to the men and not also to the ladies if there really are deaconesses right here? That is rather simple to answer. Paul specifically says this to male deacons because he is in a cultural context where they're the only ones who would be making marriage decisions. Like it wouldn't even make sense for him to address the ladies in this way. In his cultural context, they didn't decide who they were marrying. Paul is elucidating, in other words, a principle that goes beyond even just the application that it had in his day. The principle applies equally to both deacons and deaconesses. The principle is this. You are deacons and deaconesses are to be faithful in their relationships. And this should show up first and foremost in their closest relationships. In other words, in the relationships where it is most difficult to be faithful. Relationships with your spouse and your children. Paul, Paul is saying your real faith has to show up amidst real life. It's got to show up in how you treat your wife. It's got to show up in how you treat your husband. It's got to show up in how you treat your kids, it's got to show up in how, if you're single, and 
how you go about dating. It's got to show up in the relationships with those that you are closest with. Deacons and deaconesses demonstrate real faith amidst real life. And not just at certain times, like when other people are are watching. No, they do this over time in such a way that it clearly characterizes their whole life. That's the third thing. Third thing. Deacons are those who demonstrate real faith amidst real life over time. Over time. Look at verse 10. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Paul says they got to be tested. He doesn't give us any specifics about what this testing looks like. He doesn't tell us how long it should be. Probably because it would be a case-by-case thing, depending upon how long the person had been a believer, how long had they been a part of the congregation, how long have you been able to observe their life. But even though he doesn't give us specifics about the testing, his point is easy enough to see. His point is this. Deacons and deaconesses, their lives must consistently, over time, demonstrate all the qualities that he has been listing. They must prove themselves, he says, blameless. Which does not mean perfect. If it did, then we're not having deacons and deaconesses because all of us are disqualified. Blameless means not that these men and women embody all of these qualifications perfectly. It means they embody them truly. I do not love my wife perfectly. That is obvious. I absolutely love her truly. I hope that is obvious. In other words, I hope my love for my wife characterizes the whole of my life. That's what Paul is talking about with deacons and deaconesses. Their lives are characterized by these things, even when they fail. When they fail, faithfulness still shows up because they will own their failures, confess them, repent of them, seek reconciliation from them. Shades, do you see the kind of person that Paul is describing? Who are deacons? Deacons are men and women known for serving in word, desire, and deed, demonstrating real faith amidst real life over time. In other words, to put it simply, deacons are faithful Christians. I mean, did you notice that right here? Like in a real sense, all of these qualities, qualifications that Paul goes through, there's nothing particularly extraordinary about any of this. These are things that should be true of of all ordinary Christians, just living the life of faith. And that's the point. Deacons are faithful believers who serve as an example for the church. I I love the way that Matt Smithhurst, uh, he wrote a book on deacons. I told you last week it's creatively entitled Deacons. I love the way that he sums up what we're seeing right here. Listen to what he says. Deacons must embody the kind of character expected of all Christians, but they should be exemplary in the ordinary. Deacons are the people in your church of whom you should be able to say, brother, do you desire to foster unity? Sister, do you wish to grow as a servant? Watch them. 
you catch that? I'm going to read that one more time. Deacons are the people in your church of whom you should be able to say. Somebody else is talking to you, and they're like, I want to learn how to serve more. I want to learn how to build up the church in unity. Deacons are the kind of people that in that conversation you should be able to say, brother, do you desire to foster unity? Sister, do you want to grow as a servant? Watch them. I wonder, I wonder if anyone is coming to your mind. Like, like who in our body would you point others to and say, watch them? You want to learn how to serve? You want to learn how to foster unity? For the good of the church, the glory of Christ, watch them. I wonder who comes to your mind. There, there are many Many of you who come to my mind. A lot of those who come to my mind are the people who are already currently serving as our servant leaders. I told you last week, we have had a position at Shades Valley called servant leaders for many, many years. Basically, kind of like deacons and deaconesses. Those who are currently serving, Amy Ross, Annabeth Reese, Becky Weldon, Corey Cruz, Doug Abernathy, Joe Stores, Joni Ford, Liz Besseron Gomez, Mike Grant, Park Stallcup, and Shay Wall. These, these are men and women whose leadership our body has affirmed. Like for years we have watched many of these people lead, and our body has affirmed over the years, yes, we want them serving in this capacity because these are people who serve in word, desire, and deed. We've seen them demonstrate real faith amidst real life over time. And that's why at the end of our service today, we are going to pray over them to affirm them as our first ever official deacons and deaconesses at Shades. What's that going to look like? What's it going to look like to have deacons and deaconesses at Shades? Um, a lot of what all of our servant leaders are deacons and deaconesses. A lot of what they do will remain the same. But I hope that in light of all we've seen last week and this week, I hope that as a church our perspective on what they do changes. Additionally, there will be a few changes. They are going to start meeting a few times a year together as a team. In order to be more unified in a vision for serving at Shades Valley and to, let's, let's use a, a fun business word that typically means nothing, to create some synergy. We also want to provide them with greater support than they've had in their roles. And so what we've done is we've assigned an elder to each of them. There's an elder supporting each of these deacons and their, their ministry team. And part of the effort of that is to provide a clear pathway for them to communicate their needs when they have them. When their ministry is in need of something, who do they go to? Who do they talk to? We're trying to create clear pathways of communication amongst our leadership. And not just for the leadership, but for you. Who are you supposed to go to when you have a question? When you see a need? Well, if it's a ministry area in which we have a deacon, a deaconess, you can go to that deacon. Or you can even go, if you feel like it's a matter for the elders, you can go to the elder who oversees that ministry, who supports that ministry and that deacon. You don't have to memorize who's who. All of this is already on the website. Like you go to serving teams, all of our deacons and deaconesses are listed there, as well as the elders who support their ministries. You go to the elders page, underneath every elder bio is all of the ministries that they support. Clear pathways of communications. What I'm 
hoping is we're hoping that this, this results in better communication, but we're also hoping that it results in more consistent care with fewer things falling through the cracks, that it leads to more love and unity, all for the glory of Jesus. And all of that is awesome. But we have one more little piece. The 11 new deacons and deaconesses that we're going to affirm today, well, 10, we're going to affirm 10 today. Uh, Doug Abernathy is home uh, with two of his four children being sick. You can pray for his soul Um, and his wife, Ashley. So the 10 deacons and deaconesses that we will affirm today, they're not the only ones who come to my mind when I hear this description of who deacons are. And that's good, because they are not the only deacons that we need. Inside of your bulletin, there is an insert. If you didn't get one, please get one on your way out. They're usually sitting on a stool right by the main doors coming inside of the sanctuary. But there is an insert, and on one side of it, there is a space for deacon nominations. And on that page, it lists several ministry areas, some of which already exist, and are running here at Shades, but they really need deacon leadership. Some of them don't exist. They've just been brought to our attention as a need that's been seen. I mean, if you just look at the list, we've got things like men's, women's, and singles ministry, community events. That's, that's like planning things and executing things, like picnic in the park or the Christmas spectacular, things that it would be awesome to take off the pastoral staff's team so that we could focus on our calling. Uh, We need a deacon to be over the kitchen, coordinate all the different ministries that are using our our kitchen so that things don't fall through the cracks and get misplaced and all that kind of thing. Uh, We need a deacon to lead the baptism team. Let's take care of all of the logistics whenever we have a a baptism. Same thing with communion. We need a communion logistical coordinator, if you will. We need a deacon over our local mission efforts. We need a deacon to head up our decor team. That's That's the team that makes these tables look amazing and do all of the seasonal decorations. I know, I know that you think that this is just Brad, John Mark, and myself. This is like our decor eye. It's not. It's people serving with giftings that they they have. And I wonder, I wonder, as as I walk through those different ministry areas, ministry needs, I wonder if anyone comes to mind, like someone you know, who's not just a doer. There's a lot of people who could do these things. But they're not just a a doer, but someone you know who serves in word, desire, and deed, who demonstrates real faith amidst real life over time. I wonder if someone comes to mind who you think the Lord might call to serve in some of these areas to lead out as a deacon. This insert is here for you to offer nominations. Some of you, God may even be calling to nominate yourself. Deacon nominations are open all the time. You don't have to have an insert to do it. You can always email us, elders at shadesvalley.org. Deacon nominations are going to be open always because the needs never end. And neither does God's raising up the gift of people to meet those needs, people that we call deacons. Shades, who are deacons and deaconesses? Ultimately, they're a gift gift for our good and God's glory. I'll close like this. To the men and women who are going to be affirmed 
and step into this role today. You're seated all over the place. I don't even know where all of you are, except Amy, I see you right there. And Shay, I see you right there. To the men and women who are going to be stepping into this, this role, I pray, here's my prayer, two things. First, I pray that you feel received as a gift. I pray you feel received as a gift from the Lord by this body. And, second thing, I pray that serving as a deacon, a deaconess, I pray that that will be a gift to you. It should be, according to verse 13. Look at it. For those who serve well as deacons gain. They gain. What do they gain? A good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In, in, in other words, when you humble yourself to serve as a, a deacon, a servant, you're literally following in the footsteps of Jesus. This is Philippians 2, right? Christ humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. When you do that, it doesn't lower your status. You, when you follow in the footsteps of Christ by taking on the position, humbling yourself to be a servant, you experience the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. Because becoming a servant doesn't lower your status. No, verse 13 says, by it you gain a good standing. In other words, you're honored by the Lord and those who love him. Is that not the same thing that we see with Christ in Philippians 2? He humbles himself, takes on the form of a servant, humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, you get to the lowest point, and therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. This, this is the same thing that happens when you humble yourself to serve. Our God is the one who humbles those who exalt themselves and those who humble themselves, he exalts. And when you step into the role as a deacon or deaconess, you experience the truth of that, the reality of that. And it causes your faith in Christ and in his word to grow. Is that not what it says? You also get a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's it's like this. It's like I could say all day long that I believe that this chair will hold me. But if I actually sit down in it, then I gain great confidence in the faith that I have in the chair. You can say all day long that you believe that our God is a God who serves, who pours himself out. Our God is a God who humbled himself and took on the position of a servant. But until you actually do that, you don't feel the reality of that. And when you do, when you do step into that, you feel the reality of its truth. Those, you feel the reality that those who humble themselves really will be exalted. You feel the reality that the way up really is down. The way to know the heart of God is really through serving because that's the heart of our God. He's a God who serves. Dear deacons and deaconesses, you are a gift to us. And I pray, I pray that you will find serving to be God's gift to you. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. 
strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all.